This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to helping you open the Bible and discover what it actually says about God, ourselves, and the relationship God desires with us. For today's study, let me invite you to turn in your New Testament to Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 13, which discuss some individuals who the text says will face the judgment of God. Our Bible teacher Dave Wordson begins our discussion with the observation that deep inside we all recognize that we do know what is right, and we do know that we have not consistently done what is right. Here's Dave. I see a lot of people who deep in their soul, they really know what's right. They know that the attitudes stink. They know that it's just not the way to go. And yet they're still plodding ahead, doing their own thing. God will not be mocked. The modern world can decide whatever they want to about God, but the real God, the God that's really there, will consistently do his thing. You know what God is saying? You know what the good news is? When the judgment comes... When the judgment comes, the right response is to run to him. King David, when King David had messed up terribly and Nathan the prophet put his finger on David's heart, David didn't say, God's a bum and I'm going to curse him and and who cares, I'm the king of Israel, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. David didn't do that. David, in a moment of time, broke, and he did what all of us should do when we're convicted and we face the clarifying, judging hand of God. We need to run into our daddy's arms. You kids want to learn how to handle a spanking. Is Just say, I'm sorry to your dad, really quick, and run into his arms. My sister used to just put her fist up at my mom, especially my mom's face, and say, I don't care how hard you hit me, I'm not going to bow to you ever. Boy, that's a great way to handle a spanking. (laughs) What the eternal message of good news, what this eternal, this universal gospel message is, listen, everybody in the world, by just living, by looking at their bodies, looking at nature, looking at life, they can know that there's someone that's a lot bigger than you and I. That we can know that there's someone that should be adored, there's someone that should be loved. And if someone takes insy-bitsy steps towards responding to him, in fact, a whole bunch of you have testimonies. You could stand up right now and say, I didn't hear the whole gospel all at one time. But through my studies and through my, you know, as I began to live my life, I began to realize, man, there is a God that should be reverenced. And then you began to realize that there should be gratitude in your hearts, and you began to move into bitsy steps, responding to what we call God's natural revelation. And it moved you to realize, but there's another side of my personality, and it gave you a hunger, that dark side gave you a hunger. If there is this ultimate great being, that he must do something to help me, and it lays the foundation for the gospel. That's this eternal gospel. But you know what scares me is the reality of what the Bible declares and what Revelation is going to tell us. Even during the tribulation period where the lines are so drawn, you know, there's going to be millions upon millions of people who even under the revealed, clear judgment of God, curse them even harder. And it's, it's the most insane reaction in the world, but it's the nature of sin. I want you to understand how bad sin is. I have people tell me, I'm telling them, if you do this action... It's going to kill you. It's going to really hurt you. It's going to tear your life up so badly if you do this. It's going to really mess you up. 
And somebody will say, oh, man, you just switched into your preacher mode. As if, forget it. From the bottom of my heart, I want us to be a congregation that read this book. And we ask God to speak to us in this book. And then we get really serious about obeying this book. Because if we don't, it's destructive. It hurts kids. It hurts teenagers. It hurts parents. It hurts the whole society around us. God can't be mocked. That's what the book of Revelation is telling us. You don't decide what God is like. There really is an objective God. And objectively, he's a really good God. And he loves you. But the tragedy is, one of the things that's seeking to suck us away from this eternal good news is there is a city. There is a secular city that wants to get us. And John just gives us a little foretaste of what's going to happen to this secular city. But look at it, and we're going to come back to this when we study Revelation 17 and 18. Revelation 17 and 18 is going to be a prolonged commentary on verse 8 of chapter 14. As unbelieving people, people that don't respond to the eternal gospel through natural revelation, to go further into the thought of the gospel, John, people in our own society who have plenty of access to the eternal revealed gospel about Jesus dying on the cross and rising again, those people tend to be sucked in to what we could call the secular city, which is represented by Babylon. Look what it says in verse 8. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. I want to understand that Revelation recognizes that Babylon is great. I want all of our children, I want all of our teenagers, I want all of our kids going away to college to understand Babylon is really alluring. Babylon's seductive. Babylon's powerful. Babylon is a whole way of life. It says this life is all there is. It says, eat, drink, and be merry. It says, your body's beginning to experience incredible sensations. It's time to live. It's time just to give in to that freedom that you want to have. It's time to do your own thing. That's Babylon. It says, forget about those restraints. Forget about what God's holy word says. Forget about all that Sunday school stuff. It's time to drink. You'll be a big guy if you get plastered and go partying and do all that kind of stuff. You'll really be alive. And Satan will make you feel alive. You'll have a blast. But it's part of the secular city. You can actually walk out into parts of our society that hardly give any thought at all to God. God's just an afterthought to be thrown in at weddings and funerals just every once in a while. But you just live your life. There's this life. You just get your job. You just get your career. You just make your money. You make your trips. You make love with several men, several women, depending upon your bent. And then you just die. That's all there is. That's a secular city. Revelation 14 is telling us that city is going to fall. It's alluring. It's powerful. It's captivated large portions of our whole world today. But it's not the city I want you to live for. In the book of Revelation, there's a city of Babylon, which represents this big, antichrist, prideful, materialistic, immoral, violent system. And then there's a city of Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem and the earthly Jerusalem, that are united in the end. And God calls you to live for that city where the Lamb, Jesus, sits on the throne. But if you don't worship the lamb sitting on the throne, then you're going to end up worshiping the secular city. And that secular city will grind you up. It'll give you tons of pleasure, give you tons of satisfaction. But in the end, it'll destroy you. 
And revelation, because God loves you, this is part of the good news. John the Apostle has already revealed to you that the secular city will fall. You're going to be tempted in your mind. I'm tempted in my mind. I can go out saying, maybe this Lamb of God stuff isn't where it's really at. Maybe what I really should live for is just this present life. Maybe I should just try to go out and make a lot of money. I wrestle with those temptations just like you. That's Babylon. And ultimately, it's going to express itself into a gigantic, alluring system. If you go to Las Vegas, you'll get a feel for what's going on in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is about chance and probabilities and having a good time. And they'll put a veneer of family entertainment because they know that you have enough of the reverence of God in you that if we make it really, really bad, you won't want to have anything to do with it. Because it makes you sick to your stomach. But if we make it just mostly good and then inject you with the bad underneath, then it will be okay. The secular system is is brilliant at doing that to you. And so you can begin to to live. I come to church, we kind of do our thing, we do our religious thing. But man, what I really live for, man, I want to go to Vegas. I want to see those lights. I want to see those shows. I want to be able to sit in and be able to just enjoy the incredible sensual experiences. Boys, I look back over the years, I, can, I know some married couples from our church that went out there. And that's where they were introduced to immorality. That's where they got away from Jesus. That's where they thought, I can forget this Jesus stuff. I can forget those basic biblical values. Started messing around and, and those marriages ended in destruction. It's serious, brothers and sisters. You never get away from Jesus. If you want to really have a good time, you always have it with Jesus. Jesus isn't uptight. He's not boring. Jesus isn't the one that will restrict you and hurt you, but he's the one that you never want to get away from. And whenever you as a born-again believer feel in your heart, something's not right here. Something isn't with it here. Something's wrong here. Get away. Because that precious Holy Spirit inside of you is saying, this is dangerous ground. This is part of the seductive siren call of Babylon. Don't give in to it. And the Lord is calling us as born again believers to go out and live in this secular city, but not be seduced by it. He's calling us to go out and live among the secular city, but he's calling us to realize it's ultimately going to fall. And that's why we want to pull as many people as we can out of it with the good news. There's another group of people that the writer talks about here. It says in Revelation 14 that this Babylon's going to fall, but look at the third angel, verse 9. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark in his forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. What that's telling us there is that there really is a place called hell. There really is a place called the place of eternal judgment. It's the mark of eternal death. What it's saying here is that if someone in their heart resists the universal gospel, if they don't respond to the call, you should reference God. You should give him glory. You live in a planet that's full of grace, full of his mercy. You should respond to him. Even the wickedness that's taking place tells you that there's got to be the ultimate opposite of that. 
You should hunger. It only makes sense that there's this great almighty being. It makes sense he would talk to us and he wouldn't wait till we had the equipment to hear him. He would have talked to us from the beginning of time. And that's what this book reveals. This book reveals that you didn't need computers. You didn't need radio telescopes. You didn't need the modern world. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, Abraham, David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, Jesus coming in the first century, down through the last 2,000 years, always having people that are giving us the truth of God's revelation. You live in a planet where there's no reason to not hear the message. That's what we need to understand. That's what the scripture is telling us. But you know, there's those that are going to willfully resist that message. You're going to meet some people this week that you talk to them about the love of God, they curse them. When something bad happens in their life, someone ends up in the hospital, something really bad, and a preacher walks in, forget it. Get out of here. That's the last thing in the world I want. And I've literally seen, I just weep over these kind of people, but I've seen people who just say, get away from me. I'll handle it myself. I'm going to take care of all this life by myself. That kind of hardness, that kind of resistance, when you constantly resist God's voice, then God eventually gives sinners exactly what they want. They want to be away from God. They want to not have to be in a place that has any of his restraints. They want to be able just to do their own thing. Well, if you want to look, just look. Like drug abuse is a great way to see what happens to someone that just gives in to themselves. And I would challenge every one of you to go like to a hospital where they treat those that are in the final jaws of alcoholism. Those in the final jaws of drug abuse, just go and go from room to room. And, and one of the lessons you should learn is just look at what happened. What hell is, hell is the ultimate place where all that is kind of put in quarantine. The scriptures tell us that it wasn't God's will that any, any human being should go to hell. Jesus said that he created hell for the devil and his demonic beings that chose to join him, not for human beings. But you know what? God also gives you a choice. One of the most incredible things that I can tell you is if you want to shake your fist in the face of Almighty God and tell him to get lost, if you want to reject his reverence, if you want to reject giving him praise, if you want to say, I could care less about his son, I'm going to do my own thing, incredible thing is true. God will let you do that. God will let you do it. He'll let you walk through this life and he'll let you because he respects you as a person. One of the ultimate gifts that he's gave you, he gave you the gift of choice. But I want you to know that just as certainly as my dreams and my wishes don't change my time in a 10K run, if you enter eternity without ever turning to God's grace and you stay in that state of hardened rebellion against the Lord, then Revelation 14, that says that you've been marked. And the tribulation period is going to be very evident. Marked by Antichrist, marked by the Lamb of God. But I think that if we look at it, our society today, you can see the same divisions taking place. Those that are marked by God's grace and those that are marked by secularism, Babylon, worshiping those things that are Antichrist. Listen to the music. Listen to the words. Listen to your heart. What you really like to hear. You'll find out what mark you're really gravitating towards what you really believe. And Revelation 14 says, you know, I don't think it's burning sulfur, literal chemistry burning sulfur. I know Revelation uses symbolic language, 
But you know what I've learned about symbolic language? If God says it's like burning sulfur, I can look at burning sulfur, I can look at my wood-burning stove, and when it tells me that the smoke of their tournament is going to go up forever and ever and ever, when it says they're not going to rest day and night, I know what it's like not to have sleep. I know what it's like to hurt and to feel heat and burning. And if it's anything like any of that, I don't want a thing to do with it. You say, oh man, I don't believe all that stuff. That's really not true. Jesus would never talk about that. Jesus is the one that revealed to us the most about hell. Look what Jesus says in Matthew, chapter 25, verse 41 and following. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are accursed, and prepared for eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look at me. This verse is not teaching that we get to heaven by good works. But this is during the tribulation period. It's Matthew 24 and 25, where Jesus is giving his teaching about the end times. He's speaking about the same chapter we're talking about in Revelation 14. These people that didn't give them hunger were those, it was when this big division took place. Those who had the mark of Christ had to help one another, just like we should help one another today. We need to meet one another's needs. And those that were following Antichrist wouldn't give any of this help because it would mean they could lose their lives. And so they decided they'd have the mark of the beast rather than the mark of the lamb. What Jesus is saying is the same thing at Revelation saying, if you choose to have the mark of Antichrist in your life, then this is the reality of what you're going to face. Remember in the Gospel of Mark and the Beatitudes, Jesus said, man, if I look upon a woman, if your eyes offend you, if you look upon a woman to lust after you, it would be better to pluck out your eyes than to, to be in hell forever and ever. Jesus said, if you do things with your hand that are sinful, it would be better to cut off your hand than to burn forever in hell. Jesus said that. You know what? I don't know what's going to happen to you the moment that you die. I've never been there. But you know what? I know someone who's been there. I know someone who's been there and done that, Jesus. I really pray that somehow I could just climb inside your life because it makes all the difference forever and ever and ever what your heart really decides. What Revelation is presenting to you is that there is the faithful, chosen ones that have responded to the message of life in Jesus. They've come to that moment of grace in their life where they've opened their heart to Jesus. It says there's another group of people that just, follow their own secularism. They just follow what they want, what they desire. There's no reason for anybody to face eternal hell. You can say, man, I'm mad. Man, if, God, if God's going to make a place like that, what about Hitler? What would God be like if he didn't have a place where real sin and real wickedness wasn't judged? What would he be like then? You see, it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, Hitler ought to face that. But you know what? There's a little bit of Hitler inside of me and inside of all of you. See, Hitler was just a regular person that just got captured by evil and made those horrible choices. And he ended up fleshing out for us during that World War II period where evil takes us, where it goes. But it begins right here in my heart and your heart. Whiter than snow, whiter than snow, though my sins be as scarlet, this I know. Jesus, because he died for us in Calvary, can take any of us 
no matter what we've ever done, no matter what sin we've ever done, no matter how arrogant we might have been, no matter how blasphemous we might have been, man, I used to cuss him. I used to just be angry with him. I used to hate his guts. I screamed at him, just get out of my life. Some of you actually went through faith in your life where you did that, and now you're his beloved child. Because by grace, we're saved through faith. You see, we live on this side of the tribulation period. We live on this side of hell. There's no reason why any of you should ever face an eternal destiny. But I want you to understand that if you don't come to that moment when you decide for Jesus, if you just slide in to deciding for secularism, deciding for Babylon, living just for this world, then there's not going to be rest for your soul. That's not something that Jonathan Edwards made up. And you need to go back and read Jonathan Edwards' full sermon. Jonathan Edwards didn't yell and scream at people and dangle them over hell because he hated them. Jonathan Edwards preaches about the incredible love of Jesus. The reason he preached like that is he really believed that when people died, if they didn't know Jesus, they could be lost forever and ever. And that's why congregations would weep when he got done crying out for Jesus to come into their life because they didn't just hear about hell, but they heard through Jonathan Edwards about the incredible, wondrous, incomparable grace of Jesus. Jonathan Edwards describes the grace and the beauty and the holiness of Jesus in ways that very few modern preachers can do. And it's part of the warp of secularism that all they do is focus on his image of dangling over the pit of hell. When what Jonathan Edwards really said is that a gracious father has reached in and anyone that will just reach out their hand. In fact, you don't even have to reach out your hand. You just have to let Jesus catch you and you'll be saved forever. And you won't suffer in hell. You won't be, have no rest for your soul. You'll have just the opposite. You'll have rest forever and ever and ever. So we have to make the choice. Revelation 14 is telling us in the tribulation period, there's going to be those that actually get marked with an eternal mark that causes them to be lost from the presence of God forever and ever. I didn't say that. Revelation 14 said that. It also tells us about those that are going to be marked with an eternal gift of eternal life. I trust it's all of you. Let's pray. So we can't talk about hell and the incredible gift of salvation without really explaining how you can know for sure you're going to go to heaven. So right there where you're sitting, as I've been talking today, it's very possible that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart and he's exposed that part of you that does curse God, that does reject him, that wants to live just for yourself and and doesn't even want to respond to the gift of this incredible planet that that God has given to us. And yet, as we've been talking today, you, you, you can hear another voice, a voice telling you about a Savior, Jesus, that really is the Son of God. He really did pay the full penalty for your sin. He really did rise again from the dead. And you can hear that voice saying, come on, let me inside your life. Let me make you a new person. Let me give you the gift of eternal life. Why don't you step over the line? Today, I'm going to step over the line. I'm going to be marked by Jesus. All you need to do is just say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that in my own strength, I'm marked by evil. And that I'll never be able to get rid of that mark. I'll never be able to erase that mark of my own strength. 
And I admit that you're righteous in your judgment. You have the right to judge me when I do wrong. You're the righteous, holy God. I want to thank you that instead of judging me, you sent your son in in some incredible miracle. You poured out the judgment that I deserved upon your son. And I want to receive, I receive what Jesus did for me on the cross of Calvary. Lord Jesus, come into my life right now. If you said those simple words and really meant it, then in a split second of time, you were born again into God's family. And just as Dave gave the invitation to open our lives to Christ in our church family here in Midlothian, Texas, let me present the invitation to you. What is keeping you from reaching out and receiving the greatest gift, the gift of eternal forgiveness, the gift of a new life through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? Will you pray with me? Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that there is a standard of right and wrong. It is your standard, and I have not lived up to it. And I want to accept your Son's payment for my sin. I open my heart right now and invite Jesus to come and take residence in my life. If you pray this prayer from your heart, then based upon the promise of Christ himself in John 1.12, you are now a child of God. We would love to welcome you into the family. 